This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hey y'all, this is Javia Nicole, aka your girl's favorite lesbian, and you're listening to Black Radical Queer Podcast, our stories on our own terms. All right, well, welcome to Black Radical Queer Podcast. This is Javi Nicole, your host. Today, I have a special guest uh, with me who is near and dear to my heart um, because she is an all-around badass, um, and I really am looking forward to having this conversation with her. So what I'll do is I'll let Maisha introduce herself and kind of give you some information about um, her background, plug anything you need to plug or anything you have going on, and then we will kind of just segue into our conversation. Okay. So my name is Maisha Najuma Aza. Wow. I do so many things uh, that it's hard to sometimes explain, but I am a tantric shaman, uh, a spiritual healer and spiritual consultant. I'm a shaman priestess and I have a master's degree in social work, which I'm not currently actively uh, using, but it informs my work too. I do lots of wonderful workshops on Tantra and erotic embodiment and Reiki. I'm starting to do more uh, teaching people Reiki. A a lot of people have been asking me about that lately. Well, they've been asking me for years. So you can find me on Facebook at Maisha Najuma Azai. You can find me on Instagram at Black Girl Tantra. You can also find me on my website at www.alifealiveconsulting.com. Yeah, I there's so much that I can do. I really would like to just to talk more about all of those different things. But a huge part of what I do is around, includes a social justice lens and a healing justice lens. So it's a big part of what I do because I've been an activist for a bajillion years, not just a LGBTQ activist, but Black LGBTQ activism, body positive activism, <laughs> sex positive activism, all of that kind of stuff. Fat positive, intersectional, positive. like intersectional. Intersections. Uh, it's all about the intersection. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I mean, we actually, we actually will get an opportunity to to talk about all that because that's really why I wanted to to have you on the podcast and to have you just kind of share your experiences and your background and things like that with uh, with the listeners. I met Maisha, I think about, this is what, 2018, so probably five years ago. Wow. And one of the things that really kind of, well, before I knew her, like knew her, knew her, I just remember, I'm, I'm a big energy person, so I just remember kind of observing because I, I observe people, I'm a people watcher, and just kind of seeing how she like moved through spaces and all this kind of stuff. There was something about her that kind of like reminded me of myself, but I didn't know what it was. I was just like, hmm, something about her energy is like very, there was like this kind of quiet assertiveness or whatever. And I was just like, okay, I don't know what it is, but like, that's really like clicking for me. It, it wasn't, it wasn't, she didn't have to try. It wasn't like a forced thing or anything. It's just like, okay, this is just kind of my natural thing. And so once we got to know a little bit more about each other's backgrounds, then we saw that we did have some things in common in terms of, just kind of being focused on holistic, really kind of like approaching social justice from a holistic perspective, I guess is the best way I can summarize it, um, to, to try to encompass like both of our backgrounds. But we both also have kind of a similar educational background because my, my master's in counseling 
And I also focus on a lot of just kind of like healing work around social justice and really helping social justice workers carve out pretty much like an individual self-care type of plan for themselves and what that looks like and really looking at self-care as a regular part of like a radical way of life and those kinds of things. So, so yeah, I've just always thought Maisha was a badass <laughs> just because of like <laughs> being able to do all those things. And that really resonated with me. But what I wanted to, so, so that's really exactly what I wanted to focus on today is really looking at, because of course this is black radical queer. So looking at living radically, being black, being queer, being femme, being a healer, being someone who is where the, the political is personal and you're like, you know, involved in social justice, but also like living radically. And that really kind of looking at the intersections of those things in addition to spirituality and sexuality, looking at how all those things combine and intersect to create the wholeness of your life and possibly like some challenges or some things that are really fulfilling and all those kind of things. But I've always been interested in this intersection of sexuality and spirituality. And I know a lot of people separate those things or feel like they are not like they just don't converge <laughs> at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just wholeheartedly disagree. I do feel like there's a richness that can be in sexuality when it's like infused with spirituality. I do feel like that the sexual can be spiritual. And I just think it's really interesting. And I don't think it's something that people really often put together. Mm-hmm. So that's what's really interesting to me. So, so yeah, what for you, what was it that kind of like led you to be to really end up being a healer? Like kind of what how did you get to that place? Wow. OK, so back in 97, 1997, I had just stopped uh, driving trucks. I was a truck driver long haul because, uh, you know, I'm a wanderer and I like to, you know, explore uh, and after mm-hmm. I came off the road, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life at that point, mm-hmm. uh, because of some uh, the way that my life was going before then uh, needed to change um, because of uh, school issues and things like that. I was going to be a veterinarian and I found out I was allergic to animals. So I needed oh, a whole geez. nother career <laughs> choice. Oh, and I was like, I don't know what to do. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I was like, OK, yeah, I worked at an emergency vet clinic for three years during college. And then it, that's how I found out I was allergic to many, many different types of animals. So I was like, OK, now oh, what do I do? Um, right. And so I did truck driving to sort of just figure it out, you know, and uh, someone when I came off the road gave me a massage and it was my first massage ever. And I loved it so much. Like the experience was life changing for me. And I was like, that is what I want to do. I want to make people feel like that. And so I started massage therapy school. And when I was in massage therapy school, that was when I realized how much I was not in my body and how my body started to wake up. Um, And usually when it wakes up, it starts to wake up by being in pain first because it was sleeping so that I wouldn't have to feel all of that pain. Right. Physical pain, emotional pain, like overload. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So I started just like started off with just physical pain first and then and then it became. Uh, the the program I was in was here at the Atlanta School of Massage, which I don't even know is here anymore. But that process, that whole integrated massage pro- process taught me mind, body, spirit stuff. And that's when I found out I was an empath, but I didn't have the language for that then. 
Um, I just knew I could feel people's pulse everywhere in their body. Like, uh, even if I wasn't touching their body fully or in when I was touching it really lightly, I could just start feeling their pulse and their energy and was doing things that the massage teachers weren't teaching us. Weren't teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Like gearing off on your own. I, mean, I didn't know that, I was like, <laughs> right. But it's like, okay, this is a little bit more than what they taught in school. Right. Like, right. That's yeah. what the teacher was telling me. He was like, mm-hmm. we don't, we haven't taught you this, but you're doing this to me right now. Cause you know, you had to practice on everybody and mm-hmm. the, including the mm-hmm. teachers for your exams. Right. So he was yeah. like, you're doing this thing and this and this, and we didn't teach you that. And you should probably go into this, this. And that. I was like, oh, you're, on okay. le- you're on another level. They're like, okay, we're doing one-on-one and you were at like the advanced level 300 level. What's happening? Just skipped a whole level, adding in some extra seasoning. <laughs> I like, guess so. <laughs> yeah, so it just, I mean, it just started to come naturally to me. And then, you know, when I look back, I remember I used to always give people massages when I was a kid. Like my mom, my grandma, you know, like everybody, I'd be like, can I give you a massage? And I didn't even realize it at that time until later. So, so yeah, um, I just started doing a lot of different types of modalities after that. I mean, my life took many turns uh, after that up to this point. And even my shamanic training, you know, was something that I wasn't. I didn't know I was going to end up doing. I just was, most of it was me trying to heal myself. You know, Mm, um, everything that I've done has been me trying to heal myself. And as I worked on healing myself, things started coming to life in this way that Mm -hmm. I couldn't foresee. Um, Yeah. So um, mm -hmm. because you have to, I mean, I definitely recognize that when I look at kind of the trajectory of where I was versus where I am. And really, I, I started noticing things about like how I, how I was functioning and I was kind of, and I was literally functioning, but I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm doing all these things and I'm getting a lot of stuff done. I'm being productive, but I'm not, I have not healed. I'm just like, I got all this stuff that I'm carrying with me that I really need to deal with. And so I just really kind of had to confront it head on and do all this work. And once I did that, then I was like, okay, I, I didn't intentionally um, seek to, I guess, have other people do that. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, in me kind of saying, okay, well, this is what I've gone through. This is how I process through trauma and loss and all this kind of stuff. This has kind of just been my process and them kind of testing it out for themselves. And they're like, oh, you know, that really helped me. Or And I'm like, okay, you know, so I just got a lot of people who would come to me with that. And I'm like, hmm, okay. And so I really, once I saw that, then I started to look at a way to kind of put that into a framework. And I'm like, okay, so how do I... Uh, kind of put this in a body, mind, spirit context and to to really be able to use it to work with people in a more systematic way. But it was not my intention. I mean, when I went to undergrad, I went to school for English. I wasn't even, I was looking at maybe being a teacher or I really, I don't know, I was interested in like mass communications. My interests were all over the place (laughs) and um, I was not intending to go to grad school. And I was in this place where I did a, after undergrad, I did a fellowship with uh, this organization called Spirit House. And they focus on um, liberation theology and social justice work and just, and it turned my life upside down. Like it was one of the, 
most enriching and also one of the hardest fucking things I ever did. Like, it was hard. I mean, we were in there, the fellows, sometimes we would just be crying. Like, just all yeah. the things, all the knowledge, um, because it was led by a civil rights activist. And she just uh, exposed us to all these things that, of course, we didn't know about our history and about our kind of like uh, ancestral trauma. And just, and we were a wreck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were a wreck. And we had to go into spaces and then teach people about these things and talk to people about systemic oppression and talk to a lot of white people about it, too. And this, Mm -hmm. you know, black, this predominantly black group dressed in all black coming through like, okay, so let me tell you where you got us messed up. Like, um, so it was it was uh, it was just crazy, like in the in all the kind of not worst ways, but just. It, I mean, I was never the same. I was never the same mm-hmm. afterwards. Um, it was mm-hmm. uncomfortable, um, but it was also very like enriching. And so after that, I really had not intended to go to grad school. I was like, I'm not going back to school. I'm tired of school, you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah. my sister like was looking at grad school and she was like, oh, you should check it out. And I saw this program and it was like focused on, it was counseling, but it was focused on health and wellness. And so they had little sections about like spirituality and like death and dying and just all kind of stuff. And I was like, when I saw the course outline, the, um, yeah, I think it's called course outline, whatever that shows you all the classes you have to take. And I just read and I was like, damn, I'm supposed to be in this program. I was fighting school, but I'm like, I'm supposed to be in this program. And so that's, once I did that, I'm like, okay, now I recognize I had been kind of running away from this whole thing of like healing and being kind of like a, uh, a guide or a teacher or anything like that for folks in specifically related to healing. I was running from it. I, that was my first interest was to kind of do something in psychology or whatever. Ran from it, did English. Ran from it, it was like, I'm not going to grad school. Ran from it. Um, <laughs> and it kept, kept coming back up. And I'm like, okay, I see. All right. I see like the universe is on some other yes. stuff. Like, don't yes. bring us. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Bring us back on around and do what we told you to do. Um, so that's kind of what brought it back up. So I was really in that when I first met you, I was in kind of that transition because I was in grad. I'm trying to think, had I finished grad school? Yeah, I was in grad school at the time. And I had not, what was so profound for me was that prior to you, I hadn't really like met anyone who embodied, I guess, kind of like a lot of the things that I was really processing in terms of healing. I had not met anyone who I could say, oh, I can see like, a reflection or I can see like what this could look like. I can see an example. I can see I didn't have that at all. And then once I met you and kind of learned about your background and stuff, I was like, oh shit, like this is not like some random thing like this. Here's this embodied. And so that was really like encouraging for me to see. So, but it, but it is interesting kind of like try to situate that in the context of your life overall. So yeah, being able to, I guess, kind of see how it works personally and you working with other people while still trying to have your balance and then still having like that overlap of spirituality and sexuality. So I'm, I'm still honestly navigating that. It is something I feel a lot better with now, but it's something I'm trying to explore more deeply now, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. It's really challenging. Um I, my life has taken so many turns too. So just for instance, when I was doing my healing work prior to 2010, I was doing it on the side because I needed to work. 
and uh, I needed to make money and I wasn't making a lot of money to enough to live. And so I was doing a lot of uh, administrative work uh, and doing my my healing work and my activism and all of that on the side. Cause like I live my life, like you said, like the personal is political. So all of my whole life was just like doing the work that was important to me, even though I wasn't getting paid right. for it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, so I was doing like, um, you know, when I was living in Seattle, that's where I, uh, I went back to school 13 years later in Seattle. Um, that's where I got my my undergrad degree in uh, social sciences. And and mm-hmm. that's where that's where I was kind of like you, where I ended up like just <laughs> just <laughs> getting my whole life, you know, and feeling mm-hmm. the pain and learning so much about my history in a different way than I had yeah. previously, yeah. you know, it's not a game. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> and I feel like in, in a lot of those programs, especially like social work school, all of those, they're very traumatizing and they don't really provide enough support for people when right. you're learning this, when you're like consciousness is being open like that, you need a lot more emotional and spiritual yeah. support than they give especially you. when you're not when you don't know that's what's going to happen. I mean, I absolutely, I didn't really in my undergrad, I mean, in my uh, graduate program, mm-hmm. I definitely was really my, honestly, my hardest thing was like, cause I was actually pretty good. The mm-hmm. hardest thing that made me really like confront some shit was the, the palliative care class, the death and dying mm-hmm. and um, kind of how to be support to people and families and stuff like that when, when their loved one is dying and how to be support to that person too. And yeah. I, that made me face my, like, that was a big fear for me. Um, right. So that was like, I was not ready. And this ah. was like, after I had already done that fellowship and the fellowship for me was like, I'm kind of like being in school again, cause I learned so much, but I was coming off of that and going into grad school. And so I was just kind of like, afterwards, I'm just like, oh man, like, what do I, what do I do? Cause I'm processing all this stuff personally, but I also want to be, also want to be like a vessel to help people. So mm-hmm. how do I do that? <laughs> you know, I was just and like, be, and know. yes. How do you do that? And uh, like safely for yourself, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, it's like I'm a mess, but I still mentally. Help. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm the, the opposite. I was the opposite. So like my, um, the death and dying stuff was easy for me. And, um, I, I liked it, which is why I went into hospice and working as a medical social worker, mm-hmm. you know? So I've dealt with uh, children who were dying of cancer, who were diagnosed with cancer, um, with brain tumors, uh, solid tumors, all of that stuff here in Atlanta. Um, mm-hmm. and then in Chicago, I work with people with terminal illnesses, with children in ICU and NICU and, um, no, not NICU. You, but the ICU. Um, and I was just like, I, it was some place that I felt comfortable, which I mm-hmm. never completely understood, except for to say that I have a Venus and Mars in Scorpio, which could be a part of that. Like, it, their uh, Scorpio energy is very comfortable with death and dying. And so I, uh, and when I came back to Atlanta, the third time I moved back home here, I ended up um, working in hospice because that mm-hmm. was those were the conversations I had the most comfort with. And the doctors mm-hmm. would call me, you know, mm-hmm. they would be like, Maisha, I need you. You got to <laughs> talk to this patient like the doctors right. ate talking about death. Mm-hmm. They just want yeah, to fix do. you. Correct. And that's what they're yes. that's what they're taught to do. Like they're like, okay, yes. we're supposed to like pack you up, fix you up and send mm-hmm. you on your way. So if it's like yes. there's something they cannot 
fixed. Part of it is like, oh, you know, I'm not able to do anything about this. So it's like, it's a professional mm-hmm. thing and a personal thing. Like, oh, this mm-hmm. is kind of like, you know, where I'm not able to, to do this for this person. So um, and that yeah. takes its own processing. So yes, and it reminds you of your own mortality mm-hmm. and the mortality Absolutely. of those around you, your loved ones. Mm-hmm. So and that was my thing with yeah. taking that was mm-hmm. it definitely reminded me of my own mortality. And I just had to like confront some some stuff with like loss, like the loss of some some loved ones in my life, mm-hmm. and and just thinking of like right now my grandmother's in hospice care, and so just kind of like I had to. Re- reframe how I looked at it. I mean, of course, like, you know, grief is, is real and all that kind of stuff, but also I just had to kind of not run away from, from all those feelings, um, or like be numb or anything like that. And in the past, uh, with some folks who were, you know, losing some folks who were close to me, I really, I wasn't like intentionally like, Ooh, I'm not going to feel anything, but I just, my autopilot is like hardcore. So like autopilot for me, is just like, I'm gonna get shit done. I'm gonna keep moving. And, and I know a lot of that too is a ingrained thing. I mean, especially for black women, we just like keep going, going, going regardless. Yes. Yes. Um, But I did. And that's just what I naturally did. And then I would have this major crash. Like I would just go, 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 go until I like literally fall out. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like having a breakdown and I'm just like, this is not a good thing. So it made me kind of just reframe and, and take a closer look at how I operate in those times and like, okay, I'm still going to feel how I feel. Um, mm-hmm. I still feel, you know, how I feel now years later, but I don't have to, you know, handle it the same way. I can be more mindful and really kind of be more deliberate too with how I go through the process. Right. Exactly. And um, like the, the things around social justice and the intersections and, and our trauma from our years and years of trauma and how that gets played out now too. Those are the kinds of things that in in college and in grad school that made me so angry, um, very, very angry. So my trauma was like just experiencing all of that, you know, like, have you heard of the People's Institute? Mm-hmm. Where I don't know. Like I, yeah, <laughs> I got, I received a lot uh, anti-racism training through them. And um, while I was in Seattle, while I was doing the social sciences stuff, so I was doing a lot of stuff that was just really opening my mind in a lot of new mm-hmm. ways. And that I think even it would be great to have a program just for people going through this mm-hmm. kind of uh, support. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Support that kind of awakening. Because going yes. through that, I'll learn like, especially when you're, especially like when I did the fellowship, going through all this stuff and learning about it at the same time. Like, it's like, I'm still yes. living my life. You know, so I'm still living my life. I'm still experiencing racism. I'm still experiencing sexism. Yes. I'm still experiencing homophobia. I'm still experiencing all the all this oppression in my day-to-day life. And yes. I'm learning about it in depth While it's like, happening. at the same time. Like, <laughs> yes. that was so intense to me because I, the way that I, my pers- it like shifted my perspective in terms of, I knew it was wrong. Like, it's not like I didn't know it was wrong before, but correct. it's just like, I would look at people and be like, my mind would go to all of these other insidious things. I'm like, now I'm thinking about the New Deal and stuff. It's just stuff that's like right. weird to think the about just in your everyday life. Yes, <laughs> but and you're going deeper that. with it. Mm-hmm. Like you, it's like so much a, a, a deeper indoctrination, right? Right. It's like, oh my gosh, like this is really insidious. Like I knew it was, but mm-hmm. like when you, but really, now I know for real. <laughs> yeah, see all the examples. Right. But not only that, like in my grad school where I went. 
it was not only were we learning it and experiencing it in our daily lives, we were also experiencing it at the school, like from fellow classmates, from fellow teachers, <laughs> from the administration. Like, so yeah. it's like you're also <laughs> you're in this bubble. In it. It's so oh. weird, though. That was yes. such, that's such a weird thing to to go through yes. to be like, hey, well, I'm learning about oppression and you know going through this. Um, you know, going through this at the same time, or I'm experiencing like on another uh, podcast, we were talking about uh, microaggressions and I'm like, mm-hmm. it was so interesting to be learning about all this stuff and all this coded language and all that, and then experience it at the same time and be like, oh, I know the history of that. And, and for that to kind of be incorporated into my everyday thinking. But mm-hmm. I, I know that that's what shifted me to be more radical. I'm, I, I'm yes. just like, okay, at this point I'm 30. When I was 20, I still was like, you know, definitely I've always been into like social justice stuff because that's I mean, my mom was like, this is just what we do. Like it was yeah. not it, it's just a part of my childhood, a part of to where yeah. when I met other people who didn't do that, it surprised me because I'm like, oh, this is what I'm used to. So yes. it was that. But it was like by the time I got out of grad school, my like I'm just like I'm in a different place. I'm just so much more radical now because mm-hmm. of having all that information. Now I'm just like. Okay, don't don't mess with me. Stay on my face because like I'm just not, I'm not nice. I'm not teaching you. I'm not like yes. I'm just like this boy because I, it's just yes. a lot. I'm like, yes. well, I ain't got to for you, but these hands, like you might want to stay on my face. <laughs> yeah, I like I know too much. They're like, oh, she knows. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. I know. So just stay away. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, and I'm someone who you know I. I'm one, you know, you know, that song and that saying, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Like, that's me. That was, so, that was me, honestly. Yeah. That was, right. That so like, until, but when like, I get angry, you best get out my way. Like what I'm saying right. is I love you and I'm going, I'm not going to let you just run all over me either. Right. And I'm going to show you this thing that you're doing to me right now because I'm not going to keep letting you get away with that shit. Yeah. And it's okay to have like, especially see, and that's the thing too about when I think about radical, what it means to be radical. And that's why it was so important to me to have that term in the, in the title in terms of Mm. for the podcast, because the thing about being radical, like so many things, like first of all, our, our mere existence is radical, but um, even for, especially for black women and black queer people, asserting boundaries is radical. Like things that, that are just like quote unquote regular or normal or whatever are radical for us to do because we have been denied that, or we've been, you know, told that we don't get to do that. So even asserting that boundary, like, okay, look what I'm not going to do. Like, that's like my people know that's one of like my, my catchphrases. Cause I'm just like, look, what we're not going to do is this. (laughs) Exactly. No, I don't have a problem saying I used to, but ever like after being like mentored and stuff, I'm like, listen, I'll say no quick. It's, if it's a no, it's a no. And being able to assert those boundaries and people will really look at you like, really? You know, like it's really no, absolutely. That's because it's radical for us to assert those boundaries when we have been told that we can't and we're expected not to we're expected just like okay yes i can do all the things i can do everything right. and i'm just like no I, mm-hmm. I have to keep something for myself which is like at this point that's like my i kind of set i don't do like resolutions but i do kind of set like mantras or whatever for the year or just for whatever time when it pops up for me and one of my things for the past like maybe eight months nine months has been me being well being receptive and 
me just kind of being like, look, this is what I'm not going to (laughs) do. These are my boundaries. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. keeping something for myself, not giving all of me away is really like, you know, Auntie Maxine's talking about reclaiming my time. That is right there. I'm reclaiming my time. This is Mm -hmm. for me. (laughs) You can't have Mm -hmm. it. Reclaiming my time. That was one of my favorite things that happened this last year. Mm -hmm. Like absolutely reclaiming my time. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I've been using it ever since too. Mm -hmm. I was like, Mm -hmm. yes. Like it's really good. A good mantra. Just something that simple. Mm -hmm. Reclaiming my time. And I, and I'm like you, I, it took me years and years and years and years to be to stop saying yes to everything, to start saying no, to have better boundaries. You know, like I was even in Codependence Anonymous many years ago, just not understanding like uh, my own boundaries and like where where I begin and where others end and all that kind of stuff. Like it just yes, like it that was a challenge. But it's because that's something that we're not taught growing up ever, you know, Um, and and like you said, it's our conditioning. Mm-hmm. It's our conditioning. And I'm I'm totally radically uncondi- like deconditioning myself and helping others mm-hmm. decondition themselves. Exactly. You know? Exactly. That's what it is. That's what the healing for me, that's what healing work is. And I'm still yes. I'm still kind of like coming into my identity, I guess, when it comes to healing. Um and really I kind of had to it really was other people like I never was like, I'm a healer or whatever. It was like other people who would say, oh, after we did this, you know, after we had this conversation or after I kind of followed this that you said, this is what this is what I had happened in my life. Or, you know, someone yes. just straight up told me, so listen, you're a healer. Like you do healing work. I need you. And, like they just straight up. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, what? You know, because I didn't exactly. know what that. When I think of healer. I'm thinking of like Reiki, massage, like that kind mm-hmm. of I'm just thinking of like body work and you work or whatever. And they're just like, yeah, so you need to know. I'm just like, what? What are yes, you talking you about? Yes, you are a healer. Yeah. just like, what? You know, yeah. but after having, after they just basically told me, um, mm-hmm. I had to look into it more and I'm like, okay, this is how, this is kind of how I try to engage with people in my life. And I want to be able to kind of like leave them better than I found them type of thing. Mm-hmm. And really just being authentic with them, being transparent and um, being a safe, a safe space. And that's kind of been the biggest thing I've had so many people say, oh, well, I feel like I can, you know, talk to you about anything, or I feel like I can actually like come to you with this and not be judged and all that. And that's fine. Um, and I, and I'm, it's, it's something I'm humbled by, but I also had to like, make sure I, I enforce and reinforce my boundaries too, because at mm-hmm. first I'm just like, I'm just like, come on. So I'm just yeah. it, taking everybody in. And then you're carrying that stuff piles on you that, you know, you don't just, when that person walks away, their stuff is still with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had to be like, no, let me assert the, my boundaries. So now that I assert my boundaries, I mean, for one, I feel like I'm more effective for me. Like, I feel like, I feel like I'm more effective because I don't necessarily think it takes as long, like for folks to get that impact because I'm not carrying all this stuff and because I just refuse to. So I can be in a better place. I can be healthier even when I'm engaging with folks. And I don't, and I'm not a hypocrite because I actually practice what I preach. So I'm not going to tell this person, make sure you take care of yourself or, you know, here's this plan for your self-care. And then I'm here I am perpetuating some unhealthy stuff in my own life. So I'm like, okay. And I was doing that at one point in time. Um, and I'm just like, okay, I can't be a hypocrite. So right. I kind of like treated myself like, okay, I'm kind of like my own client and let me just get my shit together so that I can be better for me. And then that's going to be make me better overall. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's the biggest thing is just learning how to not just have not just having those boundaries, but um, also having energetic boundaries and clearing, you know, yourself too. Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? 
because a big part of what mm-hmm. is going on, I think most of the time is people, uh, when you, when you have that light energy and you're using it for, for just, like you said, you're, it's just your authenticity. It's, it's your authenticity and people see it and they want it. Mm-hmm. They'll mm-hmm. plug into you. Mm-hmm. You know, and then and they're they're like, wait a minute, like, Boy, wait, wait, so like, fast. right. And so <laughs> it just naturally happens to a lot of people. And I feel like everybody's a healer. I right. think everyone's a healer, but everyone doesn't know that they're a healer. Like we're right. healers when it's we like, hug someone, when we hold someone, right. mm-hmm. when we give someone our time and our compassion and mm-hmm. our love and we listen, like we are healers. We're all healers. Right. Um, and, and we like to separate all of that in our culture. Like people are all on these pedestals. You got all these doctors and this and that and all Mm -hmm. of these people who are in authority. Mm -hmm. Right. Who are supposed to know what's best for us. Right. And then that makes them the expert or the healer or the whatever. (laughs) Right. right? But like we are all doing the same thing. We're all living Mm -hmm. our lives. Right. You know, and we're interconnected. So it's like, right. We're interconnected and we're living our lives and we're helping each other when we can. And right. we're hurting each other too. Yeah. You know, we're helping each other. Like we're the hurting cause each other. And the cure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so the, the biggest thing is to be mindful, you know, as best we can to be, you know, more emotionally intelligent, you know, mm-hmm. more mindful of how our actions affect others. You know, and I think that that's hard. I don't think it's easy. I'm a healer, you know, and I call myself a professional healer, you know, but I still live my life as a human being. I mean, when I'm on that spiritual plane, that's a whole nother experience. When you're in my room, when we're talking, when we're doing the healing work, I am on a spiritual plane. So that stuff comes through. But when I'm in my human life and my human world and I'm more in my human body and self and, you know, with all of that stuff. Yeah, I I still have to pay attention to what's going on and right. make my apologies, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm hurting someone, try to do better, mm-hmm. you know, talk about it. A huge part for me is communication. Mm-hmm. Communication is huge, you know. Like, I apologize, or this is happening, or you're crossing my boundaries. Right. You know? And, and really expressing that explicitly. Yes. Not, you know, not feeling this need to be passive aggressive about it or anything, but just to straight up mm-hmm. say, like, this made me feel this way, or this is the impact that this is having, or I apologize, you know, not mm-hmm. saying, oh, well, I did this because, you know, I feel like, okay, well, you hurt me. And I'm like, well, I did this, 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 and this because of this. No, just really saying, I'm sorry. Like, I apologize. For hurting, you know, even something as simple as that, as opposed to trying mm-hmm. to explain it away and all yeah. those kind of things, like really kind of changing the way that we communicate with each other. Because our a lot of times our reflex is to either not say anything or to kind of get defensive and all that. And it's just like it that doesn't help at all. You know, we, right. kinda, we have to be able to own up to some stuff before we can move on. And a lot of that is mindfulness. Like my, mm-hmm. I, when I learned about mindfulness, it was another one of those things that was really impactful for me. And it just and it's something that's simple. But at the same time, because I, I took a mindfulness course in, as part of my program and I was just like my mind was blown. I'm like, this is so simple, but it's so impactful. And I have to start doing this not now, but right now, like. I have to start implementing this in my life right now because it just was like, this just makes sense. This is just, you know, so I was reading a lot of texts and stuff on mindfulness and I just started like applying it while I'm still in the midst of the course. I'm like, as I learn something, I'm applying it to my life because it made such a big difference. Just kind of reframing 
how we look at things and how we handle things, I don't know that mindfulness has definitely been a game changer. Absolutely. I, I mean, mindfulness practices, like that's part of what I teach too in the Tantra classes, because a lot of times people think Tantra is just about sex. Right. And uh, a huge part of it is mindfulness mind and consciousness. How did you get, well, like what even sparked your interest in Tantra? Oh, um, well, I've always been a very sexual being, even after my own sexual trauma. Like some people who have sexual tra- trauma end up, you know, not wanting to have sex at mm-hmm. all. They like withdraw. Yeah. Right. Or stuff like that. But for me, it just I've always been a very sexual be- being. It's just been who I was. It was who I was born to be. And it took me years to realize that. But like you, I just went through life just being me and exploring. And so I explored BDSM and like all kinds of things. And Mm -hmm. in my sexual explorations and my own sexual revolution, where I stopped feeling shame after having sex, because for a long time uh, in my early years, mm. yes, I would feel shame come over me, like overcome my whole body after I had Mm -hmm. orgasms, like right after the orgasm. Like I used to hate the point where I had an orgasm because I was afraid of that moment. Moment. Yeah, I knew mm-hmm. that feeling would come. And um, so I would I would try hard not to, <laughs> to have right. one, but I would have honestly, it. Honestly, part of that ultimately... probably was from the trauma, too. I Absolutely. mean, that was probably one of like, you know, Absolutely. well, I, I feel, you know, I feel like emotionally or whatever guilty about this pleasure, which I mean, I, I definitely went through that, too, after having trauma, like where I was mm-hmm. kind of like. I was sexual, but then I was like feeling a lot of guilt and feeling a lot yes. of shame around, yes. I, you know, how sexual I was. Exactly. So that guilt and shame, once I was able to work through all of that, because I was in therapy for many years. So once I was able to work through through that, I really ended up having to do it on my own through physical, like the therapy helped with, helped with the mental things, but really mm-hmm. I needed to do a lot of physical work in order to heal the, the shame stuff more mm-hmm. deeply. And so I started, I got to this place where I had my own sexual revolution and people would come to me kind of how you were saying, you know, like I didn't seek out to help people, but I would somehow help people when I had sex Mm -hmm. with them and, Mm -hmm. and help them because I didn't have any judgment about the ways that they wanted to have sex and what they wanted to explore. And yeah, yeah. I'm just like, okay, you know, that's what you want to. I'm like, if yes. something's not fit for me, then yeah. fine. Like, I'll let you know. But outside of that, right. it, so what made me sad, mm-hmm. though, was that I found in my when I was kind of just really um, always always call it my harlot days. But when I was really just kind of going in, I noticed that a lot of people, they they were so unaccustomed to that. They were so unaccustomed to somebody just being like open and being like, you know, whatever you're interested in or down for, I'm definitely not judging and just being very open minded and kind of really working with them to see like, okay, how can this be met? Like either we can do, or like, if I'm not, you know, if that's not an interest of mine, then still really wanting to have that need met for you. But people are just even being deliberate. Like people are not used to folks being deliberate and attentive during sex. Like really that deliberateness that was so that's what surprised me the most in my encounters was that I'm, I'm a very deliberate person. And then folks would just be like, Whoa, I'm like, are you kidding? Like, this is what is, this is what is really like uh, profound to you. Is that like, if I, if we talk about what your likes are and your dislikes, I remember this woman, I would never forget this. Cause we were, we had been dating, we we're talking and everything. And we we're just kind of talking about what we like. I asked her, I was like, what do you like? Like what, what arouses you? What's similar? Like, what do you enjoy? Had a conversation about it. And so the first time we had sex, like we had sex or whatever. 
And then we were talking. I mean, she was just like looking at me. I'm like, why are you looking at me like that? She was like, you did exactly what I like. I was like, because that's what you told me. Like, you told me that's what you enjoy. So that's what I did. And she was like, mm-hmm. but no one has done. She was like, usually people just do what they want to do. And I'm just right. like, but it's your body. And you allowed me access to it. And you told me how you wanted me to engage with your body. Like, it's not my place to be like, well, fuck that. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Unless that's mm-hmm. something that we talked about and you consented to. But since mm-hmm. you did allow, like, I looked at it as a, I do th- think it's a privilege for someone to share themselves with me in any kind of way, including that way. So to me, it's yeah. like, it's not rocket science, but that also apparently wasn't common because I, I encountered that a lot in my, in my uh, experiences. Mm-hmm. And it's even on, that's exactly what it is. It's about, uh, intimacy. For me, intimacy is really important. And a lot of times Mm -hmm. we have sex and it just feels for some people, we disengage. Like you can have sex Mm -hmm. all day long, talk about being Mm -hmm. sex positive all day long. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times people who are sex positive as well have the same, have, we all have similar issues where we are disengaged during sex. Mm -hmm. And so we're not fully in our bodies. We're not in our bodies. Our shame comes up, our guilt comes up. (laughs) Yeah, we're, yeah, we 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 go somewhere, judging you know, we're judging ourselves we like and yes. So the energy is also very important. And that's the part that I was experiencing a long time ago that I didn't have a language or framework for that people were excited by and scared by at the same time, because mm-hmm. I would have these energetic orgasms when I would without them, people even touching me. And I didn't know why I was having them or anything like that. It would just, it would happen after a scene or it would happen after, mm-hmm. um, I was having sex with someone or while I was having sex or before we had sex. And if I could feel their energy, like it's like their energy was in my body. Like I could feel mm-hmm. them inside me if right. there was intimacy. Mm-hmm. And so when that intimacy, like an energy started flowing, I would have these orgasms. And when I started doing learning about Tantra and started going to a queer Tantra uh, or queer sort of erotic embodiment class that sort of utilized Tantra, mm. that's when I, I started need, I need realizing. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I started teaching it to people of color, but I'll get to that. But like, uh, okay. that is why that kind of energy, it was the first time I felt like it was okay for me to, for my big sexual energy to show up without scaring someone or intimidating someone. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of people would say they were intimidated by me and I didn't understand why. I did that. Yeah. Oh and God. so I was so like, no, over it. no like <laughs> that's I, like one of the yeah. things I get. Yes. Intimidating. And so like, I want to provide no. that for people of color because all the people that I ended up doing those kinds of things with were white people, mm. you know, because t- teaching Tantra, teaching all these things that are things that I know that I need to learn. They were all white people because white people end up getting all of the information about everything in the world. They, they the have the access and the, access. And the resources. But it's different because and the people come our, here and purposefully give it to them. Oh yeah, don't get it twisted. Like people right. come here from India, from everywhere, mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. Japan, from everywhere, and give it to the specifically to the Europeans, to the oh, white right. people on purpose. Yeah. And so then black people and other people of color think it's not for them when it started right. with people of color. Yeah, that's that's where when people say, oh that's some white folk shit and I'm like it's really not no not at all yoga ain't white neither is tantra like none of that is white right so I mean Buddhism ain't white 
Right. Like, like <laughs> all those, all those practices, meditation and yes. mindfulness, and all that. Like, I'm like, these are not European concepts. No. Um, but also, but it has to be, the thing is, it has to be framed through, like, I always say, you know, my, my blackness colors everything. So, and that's included. Like, we have to look at it through a lens that's colored by our blackness, that's colored by being a person of color. And yeah. that's something that white people can do. So it's like a, someone who's teaching this and they're white, they're not going to be able to teach it to me in the way that you mm-hmm. can because they are missing that that layer. And to me, that's yeah. my top layer. Before right. you see anything else, you see that I'm black. <laughs> so right. um, that's, you know, they can't, I'm like, they can't reach me. And that's something that's very intimate. And I have this, well, which is my own thing, but I just don't have I don't have intimacy with white people, so there's mm-hmm. that. And so mm-hmm. I feel like that requires a degree of intimacy that I'm just like, I could never get to with you if you're white. Like, I need that yeah. to be, I need that to come from a black person. I need that to come from a person of color so yes. for me to really tap into it for real. Yeah, and that's how a lot of black people I know feel, too. And I've been with white people. I've been with a lot of different kind of people. For me, it's about the energy and it depends on the people. Like it's not going to be every person, but I can feel people's energies and their sincerity and their their flow. And if that flows right. with me, then that is what I work with. Right. And and I can I don't know how to explain it. It just feels good to my body. Then I'm going to mm-hmm. do it, and I'm not going to worry about social mores and you know right. and what that means about me being black. Because I think because I had a partner of eight years who was white, mm-hmm. and I in the beginning of our time together, I felt like. Um, embarrassed to be out in public with her in black spaces <laughs> because mm-hmm. I felt like then that meant that I was taking away my black card and all of that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and then I finally came to realize, you know what, everything I do takes away my black card for the most part, <laughs> like, because I am, I'm just a silly black person who doesn't, you know, like I'm not, I don't know how to explain it, but you know, I learned black history growing up with my mom and we grew up in a a black community in New York Mm -hmm. before I had to move to the South, Mm -hmm. you know, and I knew my black history better than a lot of people because my mom like beat that into me, not Mm -hmm. literally, but you know, she made us read and read and do book reports and all of that. She owned a black bookstore. I have been told when I moved from the, from New York to the South, I immediately was told that I was white by all of the Southern black people because I was different because the way I spoke, because they, I spoke proper because of the color of my skin, all of that mixed together. I was constantly being called white or trying to be white or thinking I'm better than people my whole life. So a lot, a huge part of my healing was around healing my healing the internalized oppression with other Mm -hmm. black people and people of color. And we don't get to talk about that. And that's why it's important, I think, to do this kind of intimate work together. Mm-hmm. Because there's stuff that we're still not talking about. Right. About and our I mean, skin color, about all of that. We're just perpetuating that same oppression, that same... It's, it's like a, that byproduct of racism and of that white supremacy and all that is perpetuating those things. A lot of yes. it is cultural, and especially, you know, the culture of the South is its own its own thing. Um, right. But it's, so, but it's so steeped in... It's so steeped in racism. And so, so it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you have people who who fought to survive slavery and who, you know, made it through, but it's like, this is what their lives have been. And they, uh, so many of their, so many of their ways of thinking and their perception and like their ways of life were through this fr- in this framework of white supremacy, of racism, of yes. um, respectability politics and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So mm-hmm. that's what they were used to operating with. So a lot of times yes. that combined with religion and all that, they're just 
perpetuating mm-hmm. that and, and just looking at it like, oh, well, this is just how it always has been. They're not they're not seeing it, uh, you know, from the larger perspective of this is how it was, be- how it's always been, because this was ingrained to kind of essentially keep mm-hmm. you in check, keep you oppressing yourself. So it's like, OK, we don't have to right. do the, the heavy lifting anymore because you can keep perpetuating this cycle on your own. And exactly. that's really what it is. But, you know, when you're living in it, a lot of times you it's harder to it. look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that I mean, that's the huge reason I do the work that I do. And it's a, and I have my work cut out for me because it's really, really I think it. even though people want to do this kind of intimate work together and people of color want to do this intimate work together, it's still challenging to get from that place where I want to do it to I am going to do it. You know, because fear comes up, fear around Mm -hmm. fear around all of this stuff comes up. And that's what it's supposed to do. That's what that's what this culture and this system and white supremacy Mm -hmm. scare you you from doing it to do to scare us, you know, keep you to keep you docile and keep you in the Mm -hmm. same place, Mm -hmm. keep you from progressing because you're like, I'm too afraid. I mean, I will say I am. I'm glad to see that shifting more and more. Yes, um, indeed. Where Everywhere. People are just being a lot more, a lot more radical about their self-care and, and black women are being more unapologetic Absolutely. and radical about Absolutely. our self-care and kind of us pursuing that deliberately and pursuing it really like fervently, you know, just mm-hmm. um, it's, it's necessary. And so I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, when you've been, okay. you've carried all this stuff on your back and you've been, you know, a mule and all this other kind of stuff. You is we have to give ourselves permission first of all to like mm-hmm. to do that. And now yeah. I just I really see that shift of a lot of people, a lot of folks who are really doing that and who are just like, you know what, I have to do this for myself and that's okay. Like I don't have to feel guilty. Yeah. I don't have to feel selfish. Yeah. I need to do this. And I'm so glad to see that and of course it's there's still, you know, a ways to go, but there's definitely been a shift. Yes, and I agree. Tapping into that more. So well, even the fact that we're able to talk about this publicly in a way that we were never able to do before is mm-hmm. a huge sign. Like every like on Facebook, on, you know, on your show here, you know, just everywhere. There's like the Women of Color Sexual Health Network, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. all, you know, women of color doing this type of sexual health stuff. So it's super, super important. And, you know, I, I'm, I've always been more radical. <laughs> so the, <laughs> like even the work that I do, like even the even my work is so radical Right. Um, that you, I, I, there's no, you know, I, I'm not going to be a part of a these organizations that that come out and they then start governing sexual health work right, too. Right. And then the next thing you know, you can't do this, you can't do that, and the mm-hmm. next thing you know, it, it's like being in a doctor's office again. Right. You and know, it's just really kind of reversing some of that progress because the biggest yes. thing is access and resources. And so now we're in a place where we're able to to re- be that and receive that, mm-hmm. you know, without having all this policing. And so it's like all you know, having all that will just backtrack that. When the biggest yes. difference is where people were looking at it like, oh, this is something that's only for white people, whatever. That's mm-hmm. shifting because it's like, oh, I see more, you know, practitioners of color. I see more people. Yes. So that access and that visibility has increased visibility. so much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's increased so much that now it's like, oh, well, this is something that seems feasible for me. Because yeah. I, I mean, I get that. I, I I would read about a lot of stuff and be like, hmm, I'm interested in this. I'm interested in Tantra. I'm interested in whatever. But I'm like, how do I access this in a yeah. space that's safe, you know, where I feel comfortable 
all that kind of, it was just, you know, it seemed like this mm-hmm. foreign thing. And now all these things like therapy and all this healing, it doesn't seem so uh, inaccessible anymore. It's not like yeah. so. Yeah. It doesn't seem inaccessible or unattainable or like it's not for you. And right. I feel like, I mean, that, that's actually what I talk about in that. So I'm in the book, Queer Magic, uh, Mad, uh, Power Beyond Boundaries. And I write about queering Tantra from a, a queer black right. woman's perspective in there, in that book. I think um, it's sort of at the beginning of the book. I forget what page it's on. But in that anthology, like I talk about this kind of stuff that we're talking about right now. It's about that access and it's about going through you know, doing these types of things where you're the only black person or you're the one of two people of color or, you know, and you get the queer stuff because I learned from queer people, which is really great because that part was also very important because there was a lot of heterocentrism in the the tantra mm-hmm. that you see, right? So there's a lot of heterocentrism where the tantra that you see in images are usually like white, cis, heterosexual people. And, mm-hmm. and even in those, they even explicitly say that there needs to be a gender balance, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll say that in a lot of those things, but then they won't, but then they'll also, cause I've been to a couple of them and then they were like, well, it's all about, you know, it's genderless, la la la. But then, okay, now the men do (laughs) this and women do that. And the masculine, so it's very, it's very gender. It's very, but it's like, yeah, from a perspective of someone who is queer, then it's like, for me, my biggest thing, which is why I want to ask you about it, because my biggest challenge is this is something I'm interested in. And it's just being able to access it in a space where I don't feel like it's gender. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not with a man. Mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't, I don't engage with men in that way. So it's like, I don't want to feel like, oh, well, I'm like the oddball or, oh, I can't, this isn't going to be kind of like talk to me in the same way because I'm not with a man, you know, I don't want that to be a limitation. Um, And so it's like looking at all this stuff, I'm like, okay, well, there's that component that's not resonating with me because it is so gender. I'm like, okay, well, I'm interested in this theoretically and I'm interested in this spiritually and all that kind of stuff, but it's not uh, completely like sitting with my spirit politically because I'm like, it's so damn gendered. Um, And even language, I'm like, it's gender and it's very white. And I'm like, this is not... (laughs) Like, this is not for me, you know? Um, So not that it's not for me, but I'm like, okay, this manifestation of it, this like version of it is not for me. So it's accessing a a version of it that is for, you know, for me and folks who look and live like me. So that's been like the biggest challenge and kind of, as I've been exploring, uh, trying to find literature and stuff like that, that's really been the biggest challenge. Yeah. Uh, Your literature, you're not going to find by people of color unless it's the, unless it's the, um, the folks who actually brought it over from India. And even then it's not as sexual as the Western culture has, has made it. Right. It really is not about sex, but sex is included, but sex is included in it because sex is is a part of our lives. Emphasized it in a way that's not, Yeah. Yeah, yeah no. but I, I get why I get why they're doing it because we are a very sexually repressed culture, mm-hmm. even though we pretend that we're not. Right. Um, with no, all the sex, sex in our media. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. So 
<laughs> exactly. But we are so repressed. That is why I'm sure people are doing that, you know, because they're trying to figure out a way to break through that. And mm-hmm. so that's radical in and of itself, but it needs to go further. Um, because I think that, again, you can get to people who are using it for their own means, right? Mm-hmm. So then you get you get people out there who are, who are doing harm, mm-hmm. you know, who are, you know, pra- practicing and using it for their practice so for their own self-gratification and stuff, just like with right. anything, you know, just like with any kind of group. I mean, p- people do it in all kinds of ways, you know, oh, even like people that are governed... <laughs> Even people that are governed by by organizations that are supposed to have ethical guidelines, they do it all the time. Oh, yeah. So it so it really has to come down to your own personal integrity and what your goal and vision for the world is. And for me, that vision is love and connection. You know, I feel like we all deserve love and connection and we all need to shed this white supremacist stuff that's keeping us all back from our mm-hmm. connection to each other. Yeah. And we have so much work to do that we need to do in our own spaces. And, and, and that's the other thing, too, when I look at folks who are like, oh, well, you know, if they're white and they're like, oh, I'm an ally, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, OK, that's all well and fine. But what you need to understand is that we need some shit for ourselves and we haven't yes. had that. We yes. haven't had that. So we yes. need some shit for ourselves. And like you kind of have to just like it, the, where privilege comes in is because then it's like, oh, well, you feel like you're entitled to be in that space and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you know, like we need our own space to do our own shit and to, you know, get all that taken care of and because yes. we just had it so it's like we that's really kind of like a part of reparations like we need that space absolutely we are owed that you know what i'm saying I'm like we are we it's long overdue and we're owed that um so yes. you can't kind of jump ahead and be like i want to be all in the mix it's like well no actually <laughs> can we have our own first because we haven't even had that before right. want to be all involved <laughs> right well and as a culture white people as a culture like if you thought of uh, of white culture or white mm-hmm. whatever as a European heritage white culture in the U.S. Mm-hmm. like well and in Europe that's a very if you think of it as a person they're very right. nar- it's a very narcissistic entity. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, it's like wait, we're not, wait, we can't come? Like, right. we this, can't, wait, like, so what about this, us? It's like but the I want to learn. Right. <laughs> it's like the, but there's like this, this idea that like, how, how dare something not be for me? Like that, mm-hmm. that is just, it's unfathomable for them yes. that like something could not be for them. They're just like, what? Like, right. this isn't for me? The, right. My mind's gone, you know, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. yeah, like, no, this isn't for you. And, and mm-hmm. really, I feel like we have, we have to be radical and like unapologetic. Really, we have to be unapologetic about that. Like, no, actually, no, hell no, this isn't for you. And that just mm-hmm. is what it is. I don't have to mm-hmm. give you this long drawn out explanation either. It's because yes. I said it's not for you. You know, I don't have to defend it. I don't have to try to explain my humanity to you and all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying right. no because I said no. Bye. <laughs> right. No. Bye. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> you know. So I mean, it's it's all very complicated. You know. I just I feel like for me, my purpose in the world is much is very much a bridge builder. Like everything since my life as a kid and up to now has been about me building bridges, too. So it's like holding that as well as holding the fact that I need to continue to build bridges with people, 
to. And I feel like for me, that's something I can hold together at the same time. It's the both and. And I think right, a lot of right. the times what distances us from each other is just doing the either or. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's the both and. It's like I need my Black people spaces. I need my people of color spaces. And I need the spaces where we're all coming together who share the same values, interests, and principles. Right. You know, and that is hard work to do. It is hard yeah. work to do. Um, you have to get and, to a place where you, where everybody is on the same page and folks mm-hmm. have to do the work to move the things out of their way that is mm-hmm. that keeps us from being on the same page. And so mm-hmm. for, for us, it's like we have a lot of healing we need to do. We have a lot of reclamation that we need to do. Uh, we need our own spaces and stuff. And for white people, it's that damn privilege. <laughs> yeah, It's that entitlement. And it's like, so you have your own work to do before we can even be you know, we all have our work to do before we can be on the same page, but that has to be realized. So it's like really getting to that place of, hey, I realize that, you know, my privilege is a problem or I realize that I have it because, you know, some folks will swear up and down that they don't. Um, but really realizing <laughs> that that is a hindrance, that is a problem. Yeah. It is a fact. It is a reality. And yes, you have to is. work on that and do your own, do the hard, ugly work. To, yeah, because to well, yeah, I'm not going to teach them that no more. Like I have stopped doing Absolutely the, um, not. And we should not have to. Yeah. yeah. And because there's honestly, some parts of us, just, some parts of it do, some parts of it do. Like if you hurt somebody, if you stepped on somebody's foot. Well, and they yeah. fucking hurt you. You need to let them know so they can <laughs> right. apologize. And right. I'm not. So I'm saying like there's part of it where we it's like you crossed the boundary. I need to let you know what that is. That's right. important. And I but think to that just sometimes lay it we, all out. Yeah. Lay it all out for you. Give you everything you need. Like, you right, know, no. hold your hand. Let you cry. Right. Especially in my breast. No. Things that I do now. You have yeah. more access and more resources yes. than I do. So that's going to be a yeah. no. Like, and you have to want to. You have to want about, it. Right. That's number one. But definitely about the, the boundaries being crossed and stuff. Yeah, because a lot of times we won't say anything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, be, mm-hmm. be you know, assertive about that and be unapologetic. Like, if this person yeah. hurt you, they hurt you. And they need to know because they have to be accountable. And yes. part of them, you know, kind of doing their work is that accountability where it's mm-hmm. just like they, they've been able to go through their lives and not be accountable. They've been able yes. to go through their lives and be like, I've done all these things. And they're like, oh, well, nobody ever said anything before. No, I didn't know it was a problem. Yeah, because nobody right. said anything. And, well, <laughs> no one said anything or they got someone who was like, it doesn't bother me. So that, that one person, because that, that person, one person said it doesn't bother it. them, then, then therefore it doesn't bother, it doesn't bother anybody. And it yeah. shouldn't bother anybody. Right. It needs to be, <laughs> but it's like, it has to be more nuanced than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And oh, I and I really firmly believe in calling people in. And mm-hmm. for me, I actually feel like that is radical compared to the call out culture that has I oh, feel yeah. like ruined yeah. a lot of That's because call out people. culture throws people away. I, I hate this whole thing of throwing people away. Like yes. I understand some things I'm like, okay, you know what? Some stuff I cannot get with. If I'm just like, Absolutely. you know, we're not in alignment. And you got to go because I got it. That's for my own protection, my own safety. But some Mm -hmm. stuff I'm like, okay, we're all learning. And for some people who are quote unquote radical or woke or whatever, I'm like, look, you weren't always in this place. You always had to get too. So it's like for you to just say, oh, this person made this mistake, throw them away. I'm like, that's so ridiculous to me. First of all, this is a whole ass person. So you got to just throw them away. Um, When you were not always, I was not always in the place that I'm at. You were not always in that place. You had to learn. Somebody had to call you in. Somebody had to teach you and guide you. You didn't just magically Mm -hmm. do osmosis, know all this stuff. (laughs) 
Right. Well, it's exactly. So it just that pisses me off because I'm like, mm-hmm. I do think absolutely we all need to be accountable, but yes. we also need to be, we also need to like think about like restorative justice and yes, like, you know those kind of just like actually Having love and compassion. Oh, it doesn't have to yes. like you said before. Doesn't have to be. Oh well, you made this mistake. I'm right. throwing you away. And some some things are some things are like. Look, I gotta let you go. Absolutely. Now you know if you're if you on like some some R Kelly type stuff. I'm like I ain't, I can't do nothing right. for you. You right. know what I'm saying? That's different right. though because you are a persistent like you're a, a damn sociopath or something. Like on on that level, you're just on some other shit. But mm-hmm. just for somebody who's like, oh, they they said something that wasn't politically correct or oh, this person they just didn't know or oh, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm like, do they want to learn? Do they want? I'm not just gonna toss you know discard this person. And that whole right. mindset is just like so so pervasive and so unhealthy mm-hmm. to me and, and divisive. I, yeah, right. It's like I understand you have your boundary and I have my boundary. So some stuff. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm not going to do it. Especially if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over. And I'm like, yes, yes. then yes. that's fine. I and you still ain't trying to learn. Yeah, exactly. Like you're content in that bullshit. I'm like, that's right. fine, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to deal with you. But if I know that you're making an effort and you're trying and you're just slipping up because we all do, then I'm like, that's fine. I'm, I refuse. I'm not yeah. going to, I'll just tell people straight up. I'm like, I don't care what you decide. I'm not going to just discard this person. Like I can, yeah. that does not sit right with me. But if, you know, if they just, you know, content to just be, you know, in that place. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I can And some people yes. come back around and some people don't, but yeah. it just depends on the situation, but it can't be this blanket, oh, no. like, oh, exactly. okay, you got your strikes. All right, then. Talk to you about it. <laughs> it's like, yes. so ridiculous. You're dealing with real people. This mm-hmm. is not the game. This is like, you know, we just toss aside a character and get another one. This is like real people right. you have connections <laughs> with and who you, you know, live and work and, and love and all the kind of, like mm-hmm. that. I, yes. I, I yeah, we all have internalized oppression, every last one of us. Right. We absolutely. But it's like, you know, some folks don't want to admit that. And mm-hmm. we're, and, but what I recognize too is like, for one, we're all in different stages. We're all in different places in our, in doing the work, whether that's yeah. not doing it at all. Yes. <laughs> or yes. Doing, or doing it very deliberately. And it's up to me because we do have that autonomy and we do have the right to like set our own boundaries. It's up for me to decide like, okay, we're all somewhere on that spectrum. And it's mm-hmm. up to me to decide based on what works for me, if I can deal with you or not based on where you are on the spectrum. We yes. might have to reconvene when you're further along. Absolutely. Um, or we might just <laughs> not be meant to, you know, we might just n- not be meant to convene and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of how I have to deal with each person because I'm like, okay. No. We're allowed to be discerning. Discern. <laughs> right, exactly. And so yes. that's instead of me just being like, oh, toss your side. I'm like, okay, this is the place you're in. I know I'm way more radical on the spectrum. So let me see how we can, you know, maybe I just deal with you in this, in this specific context, or I just, you know, so kind of, you know, that is that expression of like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Like, right. I don't have to do that. But if you're like way on the opposite end of the spectrum and I'm just like, okay, you, you real comfy there and you just settled in and you got the furniture. <laughs> I'm like, okay, then that's fine. I see you. You're comfy. Um, I'm going to keep mm-hmm. it moving. <laughs> so I really, discernment is, is awesome. And I yeah. really had to. I have to deal with each person like that. I have to deal with each person where they are. They have to deal with me where I am. Because for some people, they're like, well, you too damn radical. And I'm like, that's fine. Right, (laughs) right, exactly. That's up to you how and if you want to deal with me. And that's Mm. your right. That's your autonomy. Um, Absolutely. You know, how you want to engage or how you choose not to. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't get to decide that and you don't get to decide that for me. 
Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I and I let them have the opportunity to do to decide whether they want to deal with it or not. Like, too, like mm-hmm. you said, not just me, but also, you know, right. we all have we're all grown. Like, you know, exactly. I, I went I, I had to lay out a whole thing to a friend of mine uh, who was a white gay male about some things that he said that uh, were offensive, that they were racist. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That each thing that was racist, that was sexist, that was this, like each thing they mm-hmm. said, because it was in writing. Uh, on something on Facebook, I wrote it line by line. This is this because of this. This is this because of this. This hurt because of this. Like this mm-hmm. hurt me because of this. This and this. Right. And then I explained. You know, not cool. Not cool. Right. Not cool. And, uh, <laughs> right. And so, and I didn't like go into all these kind of details about why and teaching in that level because I don't have that right. kind of anymore. But yeah. I, right. Mm-hmm. But I was like, these <laughs> like, things hey, aren't cool. It. And this is what you yeah, like: sexist, mm-hmm. racist, not cool, not cool. And then he was like, "Okay, you know what? I've, this has happened to me a couple other times. I think I'm gonna like just take a step back mm-hmm. and figure some stuff out." And, you know, like we'll still be friends and whatnot, but I'm not going to comment on Facebook Mm -hmm. on your stuff anymore until I figure this whole thing out about what's going on, what I'm doing and stuff. And I was like, cool. Yeah, Yeah. that's a great thing to do. Um, And I'm Mm -hmm. I, I will say, I mean, I do feel like people are doing that more and more. Um, yeah. It's like a slow but steady process. But um, mm-hmm. I really I think, too, when I'm looking at, you know, having these conversations is I want people to understand how all these things intersect. Like we are not these flat people. We are all nuanced. Yes. And we have to take all those things into consideration. Mm-hmm. And especially when we look at this whole idea of like healing and kind of all the things that that entails and and kind of just us being deliberate about how we want to go about our lives, us being mindful. So it's like, I really wanted to, I wanted us to be able to have those conversations and like it come from us, you know, it not mm-hmm. be like narrated by someone else, but yeah, really be able to say, this is, you know, the process I've gone through. This is where I'm at, you know? And because we, of course, you know, we can relate to one another and you just never know that you sharing that may be a catalyst mm-hmm. for someone else. I know we're not, you know, I'm not the only one and, you know, right. who, who needs that kind of compliment, you know, that affirmation or whatever about, hey, you can do all the, like all these things can coexist mm-hmm. in you and mm-hmm. your life. You can be, you can be spiritual, you can be sexual, you can be political. Yes. Take care of your personal shit. Like you can do all that. And you do have your own life. You can have a family mm-hmm. if that's what you, if that's your desire, mm-hmm. like whatever it is you need. Yeah. You can have all the things and mm-hmm. we deserve all the things. Like uh, that's mm-hmm. just, I'm yeah. very much. And fun. you can have very little things too. Like that's the other thing, right? You can have, you can be still too. Cause right. you know, and we, there, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Just valuing that too. I mean, yeah. but it's like just kind of, we are, we just really have to give ourselves permission to mm. be ourselves. And so I feel like that's the biggest thing. It's like, okay, sometimes seeing someone else is like that permission, you know, mm-hmm. or that like that you need to, to just be yourself. And especially with black women, because we are just ingrained and conditioned to carry so much. We really need that. We really need that kind of that confirmation of like, hey, you know, you can live your life and you can do all these things. You can have a, as little or as much as you want and be yeah. unapologetic about it. And mm-hmm. it's okay. Like, you don't have to apologize. You don't have to feel like you're selfish or feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Just be yourself and just live your life and, and have all the things that you want to have, no matter, you know, if it's, you know, a lot or a little. But yes. we really need that to see that, you know, we need to see it outside of ourselves and we need that reinforcement because that was the biggest thing for me. It's just like, 
it, to make it more real, to make yeah. it, you know, not yet. More tangible. Yes. Yes, exactly. I totally agree with you. So I definitely appreciate you being here. And thank you for everybody listening to, of course, Black Radical Queer Podcast. Definitely tune in next week. Uh, we'll have some some more good stuff uh, going on. And I'm sure that sometime in the future I'll have Maisha on again because I, there's so many things that we hit on that I want to delve into more deeply. So we'll, we'll have an opportunity to do that when uh, we can squeeze into each other's schedules. <laughs> we'll, uh, <laughs> Sounds good. Black Radical Queer is a main hustle media podcast hosted by Javi and Nicole and produced and edited by Charmaine Johnson. Music is by Young Carts. You can find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Black Rat Queer. That's B-L-K-R-A-D-Q-W-R. And you can also listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to stay connected to us in our discussion group. It's called the BRQ Discussion Group on Facebook, where we will continue the conversations that we start in the podcast. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.